Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the All About Pete podcast. On today's episode I talk to Patricia. Patricia lives in Senegal now, but is originally from Côte d'Ivoire. On Twitter you know her as the outspoken and engaging Ukwam for Pete. Um, I seriously hope I pronounced that correctly. Her clear perspective and the fact that she's from a totally different continent than I am made me very excited to have this conversation with her. Now, I am recording these episodes on my phone and it seemed my phone was having some technical difficulties this time. So the conversation we had starts quite abruptly because I have cut off the beginning where we had just made the connection and we're glad that we had succeeded in doing that in the first place. I have left the rest of the conversation as it is. No editing on my part would have made this better. Guys, it is so good and I am so glad I had her on. We talked about national and and international politics, primarily Côte d'Ivoire, Senegal and the United States. Um, The use and the need of political labels, the importance of moral leadership, and we also touch on the subject of race during Pete's campaign, on which Patricia gives her view as a black woman who is not from the United States. I cannot wait for you to hear it. I hope you enjoy. Um, Yeah. Start this podcast with you telling a bit about yourself. So tell tell me everything that... um, we need to know to have an understanding of you and who you are and where you're from and to understand better what your ideas are for this podcast. Okay, uh, this is a, so, uh, always a tricky question for me and it reminds me when I'm doing a job interview, which I don't do that much, but... <laughs> so my name is Patricia, I am 42 years old. And uh, I live in Dakar, Senegal. I've been living here for almost 16 years now. I arrived here in 2004 and I started working just when I arrived because I came here for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from uh, Abidjan, Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, I, I left uh, my country to study in France in 1999. And uh, I stayed five years in France and I came to Senegal for, uh, after five years and I've been here since then. And uh, what do I do? I'm an economist, but uh, I've been working as an economist for mostly 13 years and I completely switched a couple of years ago in compliance and uh, uh, internal control and things like this. So my main interest is economics because that's what I've been, uh, that's what I've studied. I studied development economics and it's interesting because I did, I did that because I wanted to go back to my country and work in development and because I've always had this idea of doing something to help us develop. I wanted to be a doctor. After one year, I decided that that was not for me, but economics could have been the other way for me to be helpful. Yeah. And um, and that's what I did. I went for development economics because uh, it, a developing country. And then in 2002, we had a civil war in my country. So I was kind of lost. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do, if I could go back. And I wasn't sure. I was kind of work, uh, starting a PhD. Yeah. And uh, after a year, I just realized that 
I wasn't the kind of person who has a PhD because it's not just about being brilliant, but it's about being very focused and being able to be working on one subject for five to eight years. And that just wasn't me. So yeah. and then I got the chance to get a job here and uh, took this chance and I came here. So what I do is helpful in development economics, even if it's not exactly what I thought that I'd be doing. But there's a it's, it's kind of connected. Can you t tell us a bit about the difference, or is that, um, or can't I? When, when you don't want to answer something, you just say it. Okay. Um, is, is, what's the difference between what you had in mind and, and what you're doing now? Uh, actually, what I do now is uh, a part of. It, it helps in the sense of development economics because it's uh, it's monetary it's monetary policy. So that's a very useful for for, for economy. But uh, as I, uh, I, I, I work for eight countries when what I thought I was doing, I was going to do when I finished my studies was going back to my country, being in a ministry or working on project directly in the country, development projects, whatever, whatever they could be. Here, it's mostly policy and something more macroeconomics than what I had uh, on my mind when I was studying. So that's, that's basically the, the big difference. And when you talk about uh, going back to your country, you're talking about Cote d'Ivoire, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's, uh, my, that's where my citizenship is from. Um, and I read a bit, a bit that uh, Cote d'Ivoire, I didn't know that, but that Cote d'Ivoire is the, um, um, the official name now. Mm -hmm. Yes, we were, kind of, yeah, we were kind of tired of people calling the country Ivory Coast, so we said, no, it's going to be Cote d'Ivoire, wherever you speak French, English, or German. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll take care of using the name uh, Cote d'Ivoire. And <laughs> are you still thinking of returning? Mm -hmm. Yes, actually, it's it's interesting because, as, as I said, I've been here for uh, mainly 16 years now. And uh, when I first arrived, I was like, okay, I'm going to be here for five years and then, you know, gain some uh, experience and skills and then go back and do things. But then you... You had the country and the, the political situation and everything. So, yes, I think that one day I'll definitely go back to Abidjan. But uh, for the time being, and also the way my career advanced, I'm probably not exactly on the path of going back right now to Abidjan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'll definitely go back. Yeah. You talk but, I, but I go back every year to visit my family. And, uh, so. you said and it's only two months two and a half hours from Dakar, so it's fine. Mm. You talked about the, the political situation, so I've read a, a bit, of course. Um, <laughs> can you tell a bit about what happened in, in Cote d'Ivoire and, and why you left? And well, did it maybe some names are more well-known than others uh, and mm. what the situation was and how it is now? Well, uh, I didn't leave because of the political situation, which is uh, quite interesting because I left in 1999 for my studies. And um, if, I, if we need to go back a bit, uh, what happened was the 90s, you know, you had the wall of Berlin falling and this whole democracy, wind of democracy coming everywhere in the world. 
and uh, multi-partism in Africa and everything. So we had this uh, opposition party with, with, uh, that finally become official and it didn't go quite smoothly. So there was a lot of tension because when you tell someone who was uber powerful that he has to share a part of this power with someone else, there's always a lot of uh, struggle. And, and so what happened was that in 1993, the founding father, Felix Fadwani, died. And the succession wasn't great because it chose, a, it chose someone who was definitely not the person who should have been ruling the country. But unfortunately, that's the person who was ruling the country. Um, Oh, he's going to be And in 1999, when I left in September, I keep joking that I should have never left the country because I left in September for my studies in France. And in December, there was a coup, military coup. And the guy was so, I mean, the Bédier was completely out of his death. He, this is the kind of person who should have never been next to, in, uh, as people say, in cheating distance with uh, the ultimate power, but unfortunately he was the one. And he was uh, he was a drunk and not caring about what he was doing. So there was some signs that the military were not happy. And this is something that the former president knew to, to do, to not piece the military. He didn't, so they did a coup. And people were so glad they even called the guy who came to power the uh, father, uh, Santa Claus of uh, of Cote d'Ivoire. It was General Gay, and I remember that day I was with my cousin, and people we were calling our parents, and people were so happy, and I was like, "Oh no, no, no! When you have a coup in the country, that's the beginning of the end because that's going to be instability, and there's going to be such a mess." And unfortunately, I was right, because since then, it's been a complete mess in this country. Because in 2000, we had elections, mm -hmm. and, and the, 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 the military ruler for that, he would be the president, but he lost elections. And that uh, and it, there have been a lot of uh, killings. And, uh, and at the end, Laurent Gbagbo became president. And in 2002, there was a lot of... Uh, travel and that's where there was a, 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 a rebellion starting in September 2002 mm. that lasted for a couple of uh, until uh, 2010. So for eight years from 2002 to 2010, you had the country that was divided from the, between the north and the south, and the, the rebellion was in the north and the government in the south. So of course, nothing was being done. And the election of 2005 were postponed until 2010. And uh, because the president, Babo, had this great relationship with France because, oh, I'm socialist. I don't like France. French, uh, I don't like France. I don't want them to tell me what to do. Yeah, he's never been, he, hasn't, he wasn't very good at politics. He was very good at uh, being a leader, rousing speech and uh, having people believe in him. But uh, the politicking and uh, being subtle about what you're going to do, that wasn't exactly his thing. So unfortunately for him, he wasn't very high on the list of uh, the, 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 the Westerners. So when we had, we finally had the election in 2010, people were so happy. They thought that, yeah, finally we're gonna vote and we're gonna express our will and we're gonna do this and that. And there were three major candidates. So there were Laurent Gbagbo, who was the president. There were 
Henri uh, Conan-Bédier, the one who uh, was asked by the coup in 1999. And also uh, Alassane Ouattara was actually the prime minister in, in the 90s. And uh, I, I don't want to get back into the, the whole story, but uh, he was prominent to get into politics because of some troubles about his citizenship. Uh, he says he's Ivorian, but people said it was from Burkina Faso and they changed the constitution to prevent him from being able to, roll, to, to, to run in the, in, the, in, the, in the elections. And it was such a mess. And uh, a, bit, a lot of xenophobia happening around that. But finally, three of them were able to compete. Uh, the first round was won by Bagbo and Ouattara, and the second round, the second round, uh, that's where in 2010 the mess started, the, 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 the biggest mess started again, because both Ouattara and Bagbo said, Oh, I won, oh, I won, I'm the president, I'm the president. And uh, then it, uh, it, it, it lasted like four months of you know, each of them being uh, saying that he's the one who won the elections and he ended up with uh, another civil war. But this time in, in Abidjan with the French army getting involved, bombing the country. And for 10 days in, in April, 2011, people were all uh, locked down in their houses, not being able to move, go out. It was, it was a tragedy. And at the end, uh, Gabriel was arrested with his wife, and, and, and yeah, and they they were sent after that. Uh, Gabriel was sent at the Hague for the international uh, crime. What was the name again? ICC. Uh, I, I don't know the but you're talking about the Hague, right? Yes, the Hague. Yeah, where you you send war criminals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, in the Netherlands, exactly. And uh, and it's been quite uh, yeah politics in Cote d'Ivoire is uh, it's a, it's a headache thinking about it because then there was a trial and the trial ended up like oh we don't have enough proof to condemn Bagbo for war crimes and crimes against humanity because actually did he really do that because it wasn't a one-sided thing it was a war between two parts yes. <laughs> so we're gonna we're supposed to have elections in 2020 in October and the thing is the president Alassane Ouattara can't uh, compete again because he's done his two terms and he's supposed to leave but uh, who, who will replace him there have been a lot of talk. There was a former prime minister and former uh, speaker of the house, uh, Soro Guillaume, who thought that he would be the natural heir, but he pissed off the, the president and now he's, he's in France as a political refugee and he, he has a, he's been condemned to like what, seven years of jail or, or 10 years of something. I, I haven't seen, I, I should know, but I forgot exactly. But he can't be elected. And uh, the, 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 the presumptive heir yesterday had a heart attack and he's in France for a cure. And we, the problem is he always had a terrible health, so we don't even know if he's gonna survive. So it's a mess, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, my, my next question would have been, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what have you seen of Pete and this campaign that's needed in, a, in your own government or other? <laughs> 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 
I, I think we need to go back to the basics in Cote d'Ivoire, having a functioning government first, and then improve the government. <laughs> but maybe let's just think uh, uh, with um, uh, uh, Pete as, uh, as uh, president of the United States. Uh, how, uh, mm-hmm. Do you think he would um, be of some influence, or uh, what? What kind of um, uh, a connection would he make with Cote d'Ivoire, or would he have any influence at all? Do you have an ideas about that? Actually, it's that's an interesting question because uh, we we see uh, the American president mostly in terms of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when Barack Obama was elected, yeah, he, because he was a black man, there was a lot of hope and excitement in, in Africa because, you know, we know the history of the USA. So having a black man becoming the president, that was quite amazing. But at the same time, um, we don't also expect that much from the US uh, as much as don't mess with us and don't uh, destabilize our countries. And if you can be a moral support, especially for human rights and all these things, that would be great. So um, uh, I I know that for instance, I mean, I I really like the guy, but uh, Obama and uh, the the, the adventure in Libya that has been a disaster for us, a terrible disaster. I mean, I can't really agree that it's, uh, it should have never happened. I mean, I I despise uh, Gaddafi, and I remember I was kind of defending him and what he was doing because we kind of know our situation here. It's easy when you're in the Western world to see some government is, and talk about democracy and all these things, but you have to be in a country and see exactly how it happens and what is what is happening and how the country works to understand that maybe sometimes a person is not the most democratic uh, president ever, but he has this way to deal with his country to uh, that makes him maybe the best person at, uh, at the head of the of yeah, the state, like some like someone like Hagami, which uh, who is not the the most uh, democratic person in the world, but uh, I have a soft spot for him because he he came into power after a terrible horrible situation in his country, and not everything he does is amazing and he's not very good on human rights. But also when you still have people denying what happened in 1994 in, in Rwanda, you can understand why he's a strong man and not exactly the, the, the Democrat you expect. So that was the case with Gaddafi. He, wasn't, he was far from ideal, but he, there was a balance with him at that time. So maybe an American president that understands this kind of balance and that works uh, with people to... To, and with countries to make them gradually get into this democracy and human rights thing instead of coming like, oh, I'm a big boss, I know everything and I, I'm going to liberate your yeah. countries and create a mess. And I think that someone like Pete would have been able to understand the subtleties of what we're living here instead of being a braggart and think that he can just come and uh, export democracy because we're the USA. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I wonder too, um, could we talk about, because I know you live in Senegal right now, but uh, 
keep mm-hmm. talking about Cote d'Ivoire because I think that that's easier. Uh, Mm-hmm. I, I can I, I can talk about Senegal. I've been here for 16, uh, 16 years. I am less involved in the politics because they do it. They they make it easy to forget about the government. That's also something that's great when you forget well, about the government. I was thinking this, this weekend. Yeah. I would love to just have uh, the president of the of the United States as an afterthought. Uh, as <laughs> exactly. Thought, think about every day. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. Well, let, let's talk about uh, Cote d'Ivoire because um, uh, what what I read was that Gbagbo was um, uh, 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 democratic, a uh, social democratic. Has a mm-hmm. certain, um, uh, that means something in the Netherlands. That, that this, when you say I'm a social democrat, means uh, mm-hmm. left of center, uh, probably mm-hmm. uh, a progressive. Um, what, what yes. can you explain a bit what that means for uh, Cote d'Ivoire? Okay, the thing with these kind of labels in our countries, I just realized that they don't mean that much. With 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 Laurent Gbagbo, for instance, the, this guy was in the, the opposition for for, for decades, and uh, yes, he had these uh, socialist views, and uh, and especially in the nineties and the seventies, it was easy to say, yeah, I'm a socialist against the president who was clearly a capitalist. But then, when you get into power, we don't this socialist capitalist or apart from those who decided right after the independences to do, to, to be real socialist or plain capitalist, you don't exactly see this difference. So it was mostly a philosophical thing than a political and governing thing for him. For instance, uh, the gov- uh, the, here in Senegal, the, 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 the party of uh, Macky Sall, the PDS, Parti Démocratique mm-hmm. du Senegal, they belong to the international liberal. And uh, last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, they had the, the big reunion of all the, the, the parties from the international liberal parties. And uh, you, you, you would think that a, a party from the international liberal would be very liberal and everything. When it comes to economy, uh, we kind of ruled by the fact that we are indebted uh, to a lot of places, the countries and the international organization like the IMF or World Bank. So you don't exactly, you, you, you're going to be forced to have some very liberal policy, economic policies and being uh, and, and, and taking care of a deficit and debt and all these things, whether, whether you think that you're socialist or liberal. So it doesn't really always make the sense that you have in, in Europe. But it's mostly, it's going to be, yeah, I identify as liberal to be part of the international liberal or as socialist to be part of the international socialist like the the, 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 the FP in Cote d'Ivoire was or the Parti, the Parti Socialist in Senegal. But when it comes to governing and, and, and policies, you don't exactly see these differences. And especially when it comes also to us, uh, to social social things like uh, uh, abortion or gay marriage or something like this. I mean, when 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 you come to this to to these questions, whether they're socialist or 
liberal <laughs> they're both the same they're mostly religious no, and that's yeah. a no so yeah so yeah it, this is something that means a lot in europe in the usa but here it's a it's a definition about who's going to be my ally in the on the international scene, but it doesn't exactly have an impact in policies. It also means that people don't label themselves as such. So um, I think I would, if if I had to put a label on myself, I would would say I'm a progressive uh, and Mm -hmm. maybe a social democrat, so so social democrat, but is is that uh, common? Uh, that will be common with people who are very into politics and who are more educated about these uh, these things. Yeah, for instance, I will say I'm really um, I'm liberal when it comes to uh, so so I'm very I'm, I'm very liberal uh, even when it comes to economics and to to social things and uh, but. From uh, with uh, with other subjects, I'll be maybe more conservative, and other subjects I'll be even more uh, lefties. <laughs> but uh, we're talking about countries where the education rate is very low, where people, uh, we, if you take the Maslow pyramid, yeah. we're still on the basic of of needs. So yeah, this is something that doesn't resonate with them because yeah. they're not there yet. And so uh, politically, you said you you see yourself a bit nuanced, but uh, in either way, uh, liberal and and and. and... Yeah, I I am more on the left side, definitely. I am definitely more on the left side. There are things where I'd be more on the left of centers, and other things I'd be more on the right of peace. <laughs> so then, my next question is: well, You know, I have sent mm-hmm. the questions to you, so you. Yes, I yes, I said that. Um, yeah. Does this um, make you uh, a, a good, an ideal person to be on Team Pete, or the other way around? Does Team Pete influence the way you are thinking about politics? How does that work? Uh, I think my journey on Team Pete is kind kind of interesting because yeah, uh, if if I were American, I would definitely be. Uh, a Democrat. I mean, there's no no question about that. I just uh, I just don't yeah. see myself on the other side. And um, when it comes to 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 the the policies and things like that, I, I spent five years in France. I I've lived there. I was a student. And uh, when it comes to things like healthcare, yes, I uh, or even uh, the the social security uh, safety nets. I am definitely more into what they do in Europe, which is way on the left of the the the, the, yeah. the Democratic Party yeah. and the U.S. actually. So, but uh, the the thing was, the the thing was, yeah, uh, these are the different policies we have, and uh, is is it? And it's not exactly these policies that attracted me to to Pete and mm-hmm. Tim Pete. Because I I tend to think that and 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 I think and I think I agree with him on that when he said that uh, when you look at the Democratic Party, more or less they all agree on the same things. Uh, the difference there must be like something like twenty percent of difference between the most progressive to the most centrist. Yeah. 
because we all agree on the, the same end game. It, the difference will be how they get there and how they make, make it happen. And that's, and it's the how they make it happen, how they get there that made me yeah. think it. Because, uh, mm -hmm. because of um, the, uh, the way uh, uh, he wants to uh, get things done. Or, yeah. Exactly. Uh, actually, the thing is, the first time I heard him, yeah, brilliant and uh, the ideas and everything, but it was mostly the fact that I think he knew the country he was talking about, the country he wanted to, 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 yeah. to, to be president of. And this is something sometimes I, think, I feel like other Democrats don't always understand. They don't understand yeah, who are the Americans. About, um, a theory or a dream mm -hmm. they want to achieve, yeah. but don't think enough about who they want to Who are the... Exactly. I mean, it, 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 is, it, is, it, is, it is sad to see today people uh, rioting and protesting against the, the stay-home orders and all these things. But this is America. This is the people who live in this country. These are people who are obsessively proud of having hundreds of guns at home, who are kind of absolutely horribly selfish. I'm sorry if I, I don't want to offend anyone, yeah. but this is how I see that. But these are people you can bring to your political project if you tell them the right if you tell them the things the right way and you make them realize and understand that actually they will agree with you and one of the things that Pete said the first time I listened to him was that it's not about changing your values it's about changing the vocabulary and sometimes Democrats have this vocabulary this elitist vocabulary I'm sorry I am like this I know because Sometimes you, you know that the idea you have is the best and you, you're frustrated because the other people don't understand why it's good for them and that and they vote against their interest. But if you go to them being very arrogant and telling them, yeah, this is the idea that's the best and you better listen to me because I know best, even if they won't even take the time to listen to what you're saying because you, you come so strong and so aggressive. And that was the difference. That's, that, that's, that's why when Pete started talking about his values, reclaiming these values and words that the, left had, that the left had abandoned to the right, I was like, yeah, I see why he wants to start with this. Because when it comes to policies, I'm sorry, but the, 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 the white papers are going to be, the, the difference is going to be so minimal. But the thing is, how do you attract the other side and, and, and convince them this is why they should join you. And that was why I was tempted because I thought that he knew exactly why, what to tell people to, 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 to join the, the, the democratic when side. When did you first hear of Pete? I think, I think it was maybe February or March, but probably late February, 2019, but it, 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 it's, it's been like two steps. First time I was reading a paper about uh, an article about the, the candidates and they're saying that they're going to be so many candidates. And so they, they were listing the people and um, I, who I knew, Kamala Harris, uh, Elizabeth Warren, because of nevertheless she persisted. Of course, Bernie Sanders because of the 2016 elections. And uh, people are talking about Beto O'Rourke because of 
his run against uh, Ted Cruz. And I, and I also knew about Andrew Young because he was all, he, he, I saw him on The Daily Show because he started his campaign uh, in 2018, so way before the others. And then so the, there was this list in, uh, in I, I don't remember if it was New Yorker or New York Magazine or whatever. So there was a list and I saw a, a, a 37 years old gay mayor and I was like, oh my God, this is funny. I mean, like, who's this guy? Okay, fine. He's going to come. People will see him and bye-bye and nice, nice uh, thank you, next. That was the first time I saw his name and that was my first reaction. And then I, I think a, a month later, I saw an article in the New Yorker when it started with the mythology, it, 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 talking about him, his, uh, his biography. And there was an article about him talking about the fact that he spoke Norwegian that it, it, and everything he did. And I was like, oh my God, that's interesting. Who's that guy? Let me read a bit because that's kind of the complete opposite of Donald Trump. <laughs> I think he did. He, he, he had the best idea to start with, guys. This is me. This is who I am, and uh, and that's it. And so I started reading about him, but I wasn't into the, into Timpid. I was like, okay, this is one of the candidates because I will, I thought that I would be supporting either Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren because I was so frustrated with what happened mm -hmm. to Hillary Clinton and women president and all these things. And then little by little, I started seeing Pete on different TV shows because he was everywhere. And I think it it didn't it wasn't just one day and boom, here I am. But it was little by little until I realized that I needed to hear more and more about him. And I started to listen less and less about the others. And I wanted to read more and more about him. And I guess after he, he announced in in April 14th last year. Yeah, I was I was a gunner. One moment or maybe one or two moments that stuck out to you from the past year that you where you think, yeah, that that's so typical and that was like quintessential people. This is why he's important. Um there have been so many moments. I I, I tried to think of a a particular moment, but um, how can I say that? I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't look at the famous uh, CNN town hall in uh, yeah. in March, but uh, I saw the Fox News town hall, and the way, and and I think the, the, the that that was the, the 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 big moment for me when he said that. Yeah, the thing with Trump is. Yeah to not play his game yeah. and to change the channel. And I was like, yeah, he is right. Because you're never going to win against Trump trying to beat Trump. And listening to the other saying, I'm going to beat him like a drum of Trump this, Trump that. And this young guy was like, no, but you know, tell people why they need to vote for you. Because that was the mistake the Democrats did yeah. in 2016. Trump bad, Trump bad, Trump bad, he but you, what did you propose? In a bad way about him, you're still talking about him. Yeah. Exactly. So people still hear this name. And, 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 and from what I know about my country, and sometimes I feel like 
I shouldn't be saying this, but <laughs> but the more someone is on the on the news, and the more people will hear his name. And not everybody does this work of really going into the Ministry of Policies to see if they like the policy or not. And that's a mistake Democrats do. They think that everyone has the same level of being so perfect on the this policy and that number and that. people don't care. Seriously. The day they understand that, it's going to be such a game changer for them. Nobody cares. It's in America, it's where you live, but it's also in Europe, it's, it's the same thing. Like a colleague of mine, um, we were talking about uh, Donald Trump and, and said, well, he's becoming mm -hmm. uh, uh, less and less of a good man. And I was like, are you? Are you mm -hmm. He's never, never been a good, good man. man. <laughs> like, and, and, and he's just now saying things like this. So yeah, you're right. People are not paying that much attention as, as most of us are at this point. Yeah. I mean, the, the, number of, the, the percentage of people who really take the time to follow the ministry of the policies and the, and the primaries and who said what and what exactly. No, maybe five to 10%. The other people, the other 90%. Yeah. It's just gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. it's it's but basic, it's, but it's, it's just that. True, and it's partly true for me too. I mean, I, at this point, I can point out why I I'm all for peace, but in, at my core, mm -hmm. I just trust him. And and yes, so that's for me is the most important. And I went from there. Uh, searching out what mm -hmm. his ideas are, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et but the, the, I, I trust him, and I, mm -hmm. a lot of other people I don't do not trust. Because the thing is, when you know the USA, you know how the government works, and it, it was so well, not funny, but. They spent so much time during the primaries talking about, yes, this policy, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And like, don't you know your country? You're the president, you're not going to do anything. The, the, the Congress is going to do things, you're going to sign. You can tell them, maybe you should do this, maybe, maybe that's what I want. But the only, the only subject you could do something, this is the one they spoke the least yeah. about, foreign policy. That's where the president is kind of uh, have all these superpowers. For the rest, it just I mean you can't you can't tell the, the, the Congress to, to, to make a law if they don't yeah. want to vote it. So all these discussions I won't say that it was pointless, it was very interesting because you I, I really liked actually seeing them, you know, propose ideas and I was like, I, I wish we had that in my country that people would exactly speak about how they think they could better the country what they can do with the with tax with tax money and how because you you, you see that they have the mm -hmm. the well-being of people on their minds but even if at the end of the day it's kind of pointless it was interesting to see the debate of ideas but the thing is in the end you have to go and tell people and touch and, and touch them in the heart in the guts and not just the 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 not just their minds and not just their heads because yeah, but this is yeah you, I don't know uh, you compared uh, mm -hmm. the US to where you live uh, um, I remember mm -hmm. what did you say that um, uh, it's still the, like the loud mouth at the end of the bar 
is <laughs> that's that's true. Gets the spotlight and <laughs> the, the person who does that in that yeah. way is probably going to win. And yes, when you compare exactly uh, exactly uh, Senegal or Cote d'Ivoire with uh, with the US, it's not that different. <laughs> or or is it? Uh, what what is? Oh, there's a big difference. I mean. Uh, the the thing in our countries uh, is that people don't exactly we 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 can't read the developing countries you have people like me in the middle class we will have time to process and time to read when the the the, the, the candidates are coming and trying to tell people yeah vote for me vote for me and i'm going yeah. to be like okay what what do you plan to do but for the for most of the people they, they're going to have a rally they're going to arrive with a lot of rice and money and t-shirts and give to people and the one with the best music and the best rally will be so that would just i don't see that working in my country so in in in, in this case mm-hmm. you could compare the us uh, and senegal very very mm-hmm. well but uh, having a big rally having t-shirts and stuff like that this something that just does does mm-hmm. not happen in uh, in the netherlands oh you don't you, you don't have the, the, the rallies and all these things meetings uh, through mm-hmm. the year but that's mostly the people who are already mm-hmm. uh, part of a political party um and mm-hmm. when there are elections, it's mostly people um, uh, um, canvassing and on the streets giving flyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, there are not mm-hmm. big rallies, t-shirts, uh, uh, ask for fundraising, uh, stuff like that. That just, it's, it, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And we we don't have asked for fundraising yeah. either because people don't have money for that anyway. <laughs> but um, uh, the thing with the US, it, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's also the size of the country. And this was the first time for me to really follow a primary election. I mean, I've always followed the, 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 the election in the USA because of my job, because I needed to understand what was happening over there because the, the, the decision they take, uh, the, the decision they make in, in this country have an impact even for what I'm doing. So, but it was very superficial, like, oh, I like Hillary Clinton, I like Bill, uh, I like, uh, Bill Clinton, I like Barack Obama, or, oh, this was, uh, I remember the first time, the first American elections I was aware of was uh, Michael Dukakis against, uh, was it against George Bush? Yeah, I think it was the case against George Bush. Yeah, yeah, so that uh, that time. But this year, it was this year was particular because I really took the time to get to know all the candidates and uh, fall in love with one of them and all these things. But uh, that, but then you realize that not everyone in the U.S. has the time for that. And I, I, I read this article about a black woman who was in a restaurant in Los Angeles with other black people. And they were talking, uh, one of them started talking about the primary and said, oh, we, you should be, you, you should listen to what Kamala Harris is saying. 
and they were Californians. And one of them said, oh, who is, Calif- who is Kamala Harris? She's your senator. She's a black woman. Oh, never heard of her. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Most of the people are like that, actually. That's the thing. Most of the people are like that. So if you start going to the, yeah, but we're going to do a public option and then after three years and this and this, this is something that policy bus are going to adore, but uh, the regular Joe doesn't even know the I name know. of his senator. Do you think he cares? I have a pretty privileged, sheltered, middle-class life. And even I, I was, I'm, I was not mm-hmm. really paying that much attention to politics before either. So uh, w- mm-hmm. what I said in the yeah. beginning that uh, the the president of the United States being an afterthought that's 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 pretty much my life mm-hmm. and also for, for politics in the Netherlands um, yeah. it's only now that I'm mm-hmm. really paying attention mm-hmm. um, but if me and mm-hmm. and and I have uh, like I said I have enough money and enough time to. Spend time and money on on uh, figuring out who I should vote for, and I did. So, what are we ex- expecting mm-hmm. uh, people who do not have that time and money to to do? Yeah, people people start wondering about who is the president when it starts affecting yeah. their life in a very meaningful way, and I saw it here in Senegal. Uh, there's this guy who's a, who I call a friend, who's like a, a driver, plumber, electrician, every uh, and, and 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 car repairer. Every time I need someone to help me do something, he's, he's there. He's amazing. I love him. We've known each other for about ten more than ten years now. And uh, I remember after the election, the first after the first time uh, Makisal was elected, he was a big fan, and he was even uh, and and I remember that. A lot of people in the middle class were like, in 2019, they were like, oh, we don't like Makisal, is is this, is that, is that. And I talked with him, who is like uh, working class, and said, yeah, Makisal is doing this, Makisal is doing that, and I have money and I can feed my family. I like him, I'm going to vote for him. So you, with your big policy ideas, you don't matter because these people, the working class, are the most yeah. the, the, the 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 bulk of the voters, and what they what they're going to think of is to have money in my pocket because of this president or not. And that's the only thing that would determine if they're going to vote for him or not. So um, we talked a bit about um, uh, the issue of race surrounding Pete's campaign, and um, I even asked, oh, can yeah. we talk about this? Is is that okay for you and you? actually really wanted to talk about it uh, and for me your perspective as a mm-hmm. black woman from another country is is like doubly interesting so give, could you give me a bit of your perspective on what happened during uh, this primary with Pete um, knowing that we could probably film multiple episodes on this topic mm-hmm. yeah well, uh, it's it, it was it wasn't a, an easy subject, and I remember I had this conversation with some uh, some black guy from Team Pete, asking him why is because it it would be a lie to say that yeah. there was not an issue with black voters. I mean, we wouldn't have be having Biden if it wasn't an issue, and um, and and uh, what he told me is like yeah, there there was the the famous. Uh, um, 
police chief story because that has never been completely resolved and that came and came and came. But after seeing so, reading a lot of papers and seeing so many people saying so many different things and listening to people from uh, South Bend, especially people like AJ uh, and uh, other surrogates and uh, Ryan, which is a, such a great person, I just realized that things like the police chief or the police shooting or whatever the other, uh, other things were mostly reasons to give, but the real reason was deeper than that. And um, the thing is, I'm not American. My black experience is completely different from them. I'm African, I live in an African country. Every, every, everybody here mostly is black. And uh, as I was telling my, fr my, my friends from my, a high school who uh, I've oriented live in France that yeah when I think of uh, feminism I sometimes I feel uh, closer to white feminism in the sense that I'll be only thinking about my relationship with men instead of my relationship with men and anything related to my to the color of my yeah. skin because I don't have to think of the color of my skin here yeah. where I am because everybody looks like me and so I, I don't, so I don't want to deny anyone's uh, pain or anger of anything. But I think, it, and it wasn't just the, the race problem, but I think Pete uh, was someone who came and kind of upset a lot of people and about things that they had already in their lives. You had this young man, quite young when you're talking about uh, mm -hmm. uh, the presidential elections, came, who came out of nowhere and is objectively brilliant. Nobody can say anything about that. Talk, speaks well and attracted so much attention. And it, it reminded a lot of people that the, this guy was an upstarter who, who comes out of nowhere and the boss likes him and gives him the promotion that you have been working your ass off and you never get the chance to have because some young guy comes and, oh, he's a new star at the Wunderkind and we're going to give it to him. And uh, that was something that not only uh, Black people, but a lot of women too. And you could feel that in uh, when you're talking with supporters of Elizabeth Warren and... Uh, Amy Klobuchar or supporters of people like, uh, uh, um, what's his name again, Castro or Booker of Harris, that this guy comes out of nowhere, he hasn't done the job, uh, he, he hasn't paid his due, and all of a sudden people like him. So like, who, do, who does he think he is? So I guess at some uh, and that is something very crucial in the U.S. too, when it comes to race so relations. Like, okay, so um, uh, mm -hmm. Do you think that mm -hmm. he hasn't, uh, paid his dues yet? Was it too soon? Oh, that, that, that's what the others uh, thought, that he, he was just a mayor, small-town mayor, not even the mayor of New York, and coming out of nowhere and pretending that he, he has the, the, mm -hmm. the seat at, at that table. And that was mostly the thing people who didn't like him were, were, were feeling, even if they didn't say that. That was 
that was correct was was this mm -hmm. um what were they just shutting down any possible um uh, conversation or checking him out because of this uh, or do I think that, yeah, I think most of that, most of that was, well, most of it was dead, especially when you, I read some, I, I've been reading a lot, especially about this, this, the subject of race relationship and Pete, there've been a lot of missteps by the campaign and there've been a lot of missteps by the candidate himself, but also there's, there was a lot of mistrust and the fact that he was so young, he was coming out of nowhere and it was like, who's this guy? And who does, does he think he is to come here and tell us that, yeah, I can change your life when you've never been around us or we don't we don't know you? And uh, yeah, and that that that's always some, that was something too. And uh, it was interesting because I I read this article by Charlotte Atler about Pete in in South Carolina. And it was really hard to read because then you realize that actually it was they didn't really care about uh, petty things like did he fire the police chief or not because they read the story and they they, they knew the, the reasons behind behind the the, fire, the the supposed firing, but it was like we don't know you, and uh, we are a community that has been taken for granted just like it kept saying, and we need to be with someone actually that we know and we, we can think that and we know that it could, it could help us that you we don't know you and your and your and your your your, your resume or your your history is not that great so you you seem nice but we need you to to make your to 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 to, to pay your dues to to prove that you can make to do the job and you're too young and you're too green and something and so many things. I mean, it's easier maybe for white people to take a chance with someone like Pete than it was for black people. And that's, I think that's what ultimately killed his campaign because in a country that divided with these racial issues, it's hard to trust someone who came out of nowhere. And even, this, even if the person has the best ideas or the, the best will and wants to change things and is really and he's listening to you and wants to do the, the things you're like, yeah, but we don't know you. We, and it's, it's just a matter of trust. And it's interesting because you realize when talking with some of the staff from South Carolina, it's, it wasn't that they didn't like him. It's just like they wanted to see what he could do before trusting him. And they preferred to be, to go with someone with, with a longer history with them. So... So that's the thing. I think it's not not everything is it's, it's not there's there's no it's not that he can't change anything in the future. But for the first year, he read in, 19, in 2019, it was maybe too early. Hope gives hope for the future, right? I mean, because we also know that well, mm -hmm. yeah, advice mm -hmm. here. But if if you know him, you love him. I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. I think Ahayua and Liam Shaya show that the most the most time is spent with people, yeah. and the most time the the, the, um, the more they like. So him. I'm I'm thinking we should um, mm -hmm. close off, um, and uh, with two things. I yeah. Mm -hmm. I asked you if you had um, a poem, some mm -hmm. text, a book, speech, or whatever you want, something, a quote that reminded you of Pete. 
and you said you had, so I'm, I'm um, mm -hmm. asking you if you would um, read that for me. Oh, <laughs> well, I completely forgot I had it and then I forget to, 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 to take it. So, oh my God, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to completely ruin this no, part. I don't know if you, can, you're going to do some... Send it to me later. You mm -hmm. thing I can add it to. That's that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not exactly something that uh, something that reminds me of Pete, mm -hmm. but it's something that is said that is that that has become some kind of motto for me. So I don't know if you remember when he was doing the the first bus tour in uh, in Iowa, yeah. And he had this journalist Walter Shapiro, and Shapiro wrote this paper way after the the other journalists wrote the papers. You know, they all wrote the papers, and some were nice, some were well written, some were just may. And then it, I think the the article was called. Let me uh, check. Walter Shapiro. Well, it, it, the article was called Pete Buttigieg's Indeniable Allure, but uh, it was published in the New Republic. And to date, it's one of the best papers written about Pete. Because it was written by someone who was so skeptic, uh, mm -hmm. skeptic of, of, of Pete at first, and then spent these couple of days with him, look at his interaction with people, and at the end was like, okay, I thought that this guy was a fluke, but then I realized why people like him. Because I think one of the, 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 the things with Pete was like, most of the people would was supporting other candidates, never really took the time to listen to him. So they were frustrating with the amount of love and support he was receiving and didn't understand why. And uh, what uh, Shapiro did was following him and finally understanding why this guy was having such a such an appeal, even, even if it's not, it wasn't enough to 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 win the the, the primary, but enough to 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 make him yeah. stay the, as long as he, he stayed. And uh, and and at the end of the article, uh, you have Shapiro asking uh, what what he wish he had the time to learn before embarking on his quest for the Oval Office. And Pete answered, "One skill they have developed, which will need to be at a whole different level." the heart of knowing what not to concern yourself with. Oh. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And, and, he, and he follows saying, because at, to a, up to a certain point, you can convince yourself that if you stay up an hour later or move a little quicker, you can touch everything that deserves to be touched. And this is not true. And you have to, to, to consider your priorities. And, and it's true that we spend so much time being worried about things yeah. that we don't have to be worried about. Yeah. And learning what not, and, and, and that was the thing, learning this is not what not to concern uh, yourself with. Your, uh, presidential candidate, this is true. 
Yeah. It's true for everyone. It's true for you, everyone for your life. I mean, that was that was like eye opener. I was like, wow, he's right, because the, the the amount of time you spend on things that are completely unuseful because you think that that's going to change something in your life when it's absolutely not necessary for you to to waste time on it. But you have to be careful to not actually sometimes overlook things that you should have concerned yourself with. But uh, yeah, when you when you look at your life, there's so many things to concern yourself with. And you should just have let it go. I'm sure I've read this article, but I'll I'll, I'll look into it, into it. And it's a recommendation for anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast. Um, to finish it off, a quick answer round. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Questions and you give a quick answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know you love all three of them. Okay. Cats, giraffes or elephants? <laughs> oh, so it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, okay. I, I say cats because you can have them with you all the time. But giraffe... <laughs> Elephants are so adorable. They have this thing. Elephants are social and uh, the way they interact with each other is absolutely adorable. And uh, yeah, I I have a special something for elephants, but uh, cats for uh, everyday life. With an elephant from you, I I smile. The last time there was like an elephant who had uh, had a tree in its trunk, I believe, uh, with it was really cute. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, I visited. I visited the Sheldrick uh, the orphanage when I went to Kenya, and uh, I didn't realize that uh, it will touch me that much. But I saw these elephants there, these baby elephants, orphans elephants, and it it moved me so much. And seeing them all interact with the guards and the the people that they're feeding them and even together and being so, they, they like a human society. They and the the, the, the fact that they interact so well to, together. You're like You're not good. Oh, yeah, I love elephants. Short answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm, not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm having okay, so attracting the image. Where should they go? What's the best place to go? Mm-hmm. Um, if you like, uh, if you like the beach, I'll say in Gataru. It's on the small coast on the Atlantic. You have this beach, this place with a lot of little towns next to each other and uh, some kind of uh, resort, and and or you can just rent a place and be there. Uh, but uh, you can also stay in Dakar because the, the, the city is great. Or you can go and visit the, the national park where we have rhinoceros and giraffes okay. and uh, zebras. I, I, I love zebras. The best book. Mm-hmm. The best what? Oh, this is a question that doesn't have an answer. Asking the question. I said one of the books that really moved me was The Joke by Bilan Kundera. And I also loved mm-hmm. 1984 by George Orwell. And, uh, 
and there are books that I love reading because they uplift mm-hmm. me, like yeah. red, white, and royal blue. <laughs> like Cassie McInston. But I can't never really say this is the best book because there's no best book. They're just books that that move you, that do something to you, and uh, they, they're just question, in your head for uh, forever. You may just have already answered it, but uh, what is the best Pete quote you know of? Um, oh no, that this quote was that was a, a life motto for me. But uh, if if I, I can think of a quote on, in his stump speech and uh, all these things, oh, what can I say? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be lazy and I'm, I'll go back to my to, to this to this quote because there's so many and this one. But I think I, I really, I really like the one that had the most applause during the the, the storm speeches. A secretary of, of education who actually believed in in education, so public education. What would you bring to a potluck from International Teen Week? So we are. Oh, that's that's easy. Uh, I, I'll bring yeah. the 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 fried plantain with uh, chicken or fish, plus the atike. So the fried plantain is called aloko, and the atike is some kind of uh, couscous uh, made by with cassava. That's Ivorian meal. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, one of our biggest export, uh, food exports. Is that something I can make here too? I mean... Uh, uh, no, no, the 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 ATK is made in Cote d'Ivoire and then we export it. But then you can you can grill some cheese and have the, the tomato, have a little gravy uh, accompanying it. But the, you you can't make the the the, the ATK yourself. But you can do the aloco. You just have to buy some planter and wait until they're really ripe, and then with a lot, you you cut them in small pieces and you fry them like you you'll do with fries. Um, in the chat. <laughs> so, Patricia, thank you for the, um, exactly. For the and for all, all brilliant answers. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Talk to you soon. And uh, don't hesitate to cut okay. uh, <laughs> things that are not very exciting. You too. Bye. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon. So that was my wonderful conversation with Patricia, and I hope you enjoyed it. I myself was struck by so many moments that she gave me a perspective that I had not even thought of. It also has also left me with the feeling that we could have talked for hours and hours. But honestly, I think this conversation was already quite in-depth. And sparking a satisfying curiosity is part of any good conversation, isn't it? I'm aware that I have told you in the first short episodes that I would talk about several different subjects and now I'm doing a series of interviews. I can only say, sorry, not sorry. No, just kidding. But seriously, I'm loving these interviews and I have another two planned. And I will probably also make episodes with a different setup. But for now, I find this very interesting and I hope you agree with me. Anyway, thank you for listening. And as always, stay safe, call your mom, and let hate sit alone.